0: Hey, everybody. It's Brian from The Union, and this is The Union Podcast. We're so glad that you've chosen to join us here today. If you're unfamiliar with The Union, we exist to help bring biblical clarity uh, to God's design for marriage, relationships, identity, sexuality, all those big deals, um, those big deal topics that we experience in our life. We really believe that God's uh, desire in his heart is that we would have clarity and confidence in all these things uh, that he lays out in his word for us. And so we could live a life of abundance and joy and peace and wholeness and um really just how he's designed us to live. So we're so glad that you've joined us here today. And we would love it if you are a return listener to head over to wherever you're listening to this this podcast and give a review and comment and share and subscribe and do all those things. It just helps us so much um, to be able to just be seen by more people and uh, get this message out before more more people. And in light of that, I want to read a review that we had somebody uh, give us over on uh, Apple Podcast. It says, your hearts and your content are needed and affect change in my heart whenever I listen. Thank you, and I want to say thank you so much for that because that is our desire: is that every time that we would get here, every time we would gather here, um, that that our hearts would be um, would be affected, would be impacted by the reality of Jesus and the reality of His design for these areas. So we are so glad um, that that's what you've experienced. Um, Today, we're continuing on in a series that we've started all about family. In the next little while, we're just gonna be talking about family, what it's like to be a mom, what it's, what it's like to be a dad, and these, these key things, these key attributes um, of uh, to be healthy parents and what our kids need and the dynamic of family that is so needed in our day and age. And um, I'm super excited, because this is a long overdue guest, but Jim Anderson, who is a friend, a mentor, um, man, just an awesome man of God, Uh, He is going to be on the podcast today. We're actually going to do two episodes with him, but today he's going to share his story on how when it came to ministry, when it came to this place that he had as a minister of the gospel, that actually what was needed was for him to minister as a father and not just like a professional minister, you know, not not just like a professional, uh, professional leader. He was called to minister as a father, and he's got some dynamic stories of how over the years his ministry um, has been impacted um, just by this revelation and the fruit of that in the hearts of people who he's he served and ministered and preached to. How it's just brought transformation. Um, it's such a privilege to have Jim on here today. Him and his wife Lisa, they hail from Spokane, Washington. He is the author of Unmasked, and uh, it's just a powerful book. Um, so I encourage you open up your heart. It's going to be probably a hard hitter, um, and uh, but I know your life is going to be is going to be impacted and changed today. So let's pass it over to Pastor Jim Anderson, and uh, we'll talk to you later.
1: You're listening to the Union Podcast. The union exists to bring biblical confidence and clarity to the topics of relationships and sexuality. On this podcast, we unpack the damaging effects of modern sex culture and discuss how to heal from the past and enrich your relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian and Bonnie Pugh.
0: All right, so here we are with Jim Anderson. It's been long overdue, Jim, to have you. I think we've mentioned you so many times in the podcast that. Probably everybody already knows you, but um, it's finally so good to have you on the podcast, man. So thanks for doing this.
2: It's fun to be with you. I'm thinking of all the people I've gotten to know in that region of Canada and wherever this reaches, but I want to say hi to all the Canadian friends. We miss you so much, even with the COVID, the lockdown of the border and yeah,
0: all of that. Uh, greetings.
2: <laughs> I love Canada I miss Canada so much
0: <laughs> yeah well I always tell like one of my favorite stories Jim is like when you would be coming up and I'd come and pick you up and we'd have that like the last couple miles before the border I would just remind you that like, hey the Canadian border agency they love you they love Jim Anderson <laughs> right and so I would say this I think Canada Canada loves you back Jim for sure
3: yeah yeah
2: except for that one time that one they,
0: time but that's okay
2: <laughs> i had to get criminal re, criminally rehabilitated and we're actually going to yeah. talk about that we're going to we're going to <laughs>
0: talk about that too
1: i know
2: i know i had i mean this is part of it i still have trauma i have uh, pst what is it pstd uh, uh ptsd ptsd I yeah. <laughs> oh, man. seriously i mean can you believe i'm trying to go up there to preach and just be with the canadian churches and Somehow they border stops me and tells me I need to be criminally rehabilitated. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. And we'll, we'll put some context into what that, that was all about here tonight. But Jim, for some of us, uh, some of our listeners who wouldn't know you hail from Spokane, Washington, you and your wife, Lisa, and your family have um, essentially just grown up in that, that area. Um, can you tell us a little, about, little bit about your family, family story and, And all about about your kids?
3: Yeah.
2: um, I did grow up here. I went 10 years on the the west side in Seattle. Seattle, Tacoma, where I went to school, got saved, taught school, did urban missions. And then kind of at the end of that 10-year period, back to Spokane. And uh, raised my eight kids here in the last, well, Seattle. Since 39. I've got eight kids from 39 to 23 years old.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh, six
2: girls and two boys and uh, they're all very kingdom of God minded and they're all, they all love the local church. They all see that the local church has been created. It, it's part of the plan was that local church would serve to build the kingdom of God in the earth and they're all, they're all entering into their destinies and walking in their destinies and their destinies are unfolding. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty exciting. We're really, I have to say more than any sermon conference ministry trips to nations, whatever, whatever kind of more traditionally ministry type of endeavors. The, the best thing I've done by far is have eight children and that's my crown. I would say that's my, I'm so pleased to see what's in the heart of Lisa and I multiplied in the hearts of my kids and then going way beyond what I can, what I can ever do. And it's very much like how the Lord sees us, I think.
0: Right. Right.
2: Like he's got, he's got his kids. He's got his heart birthed into Jesus, reproduced in the disciples transmitted to the 70 and the one hundred and twenty, and then launched into the earth at the birthing of the church. And yeah. the Lord's like a, a proud dad. And mm-hmm. what I feel is, is just a sliver of that larger. I mean, that's, that's why amazing. I feel that. Cause that's cause God, God feels that. And so, and, and, and I'm not, I'm not discounting ministry. I love, I, I, it's, it's such a privilege to take the message and to serve God's church and the earth. So mm-hmm. all that is, I'm just saying that the kid part, having the kids has been so. Yeah. So I don't know how to describe it really.
0: Yeah. No, but I hear you. I hear you've got a lovely family. It's been such an honor for us to, to know you and to know, you know, your kids be welcomed by your family and you guys are the real deal. Um, So you've also uh, you've been leading a ministry that was called lifeline ministries for, for a season. And then you recently, uh, I think a few years back uh changed the name to sexuality Unmasked. how did this uh ministry come about
2: well uh yeah the name changed uh we just started out lifeline ministry i think I think it was born it was obviously born you know this is the the real the genesis of the ministry the genesis of it was i uh the lord Began to put a burden on me, called me, kind of a combination of uh, a burden for our nation, a burden for the church in our nation. Uh, that was the, a burden for the issue, which, if not addressed, would bring a judgment on our nation. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a mixture of some, you know, the pro-life movement is really what captured my heart. And there's a lot of aspects of it. Some people are very motivated by, you know, the children, we, you know, we want to save the children, the children, you know, some are motivated by the moms and the deception and the, right. the, the confusion of the moms. Uh, some are motivated by the church having an authenticity and responding to uh, injustice Right. Sure. And, and then some are motivated by the nation, that, that, that the nation's destiny will hang in the balance of whether or not the church adequately addresses this injustice. So it's a little bit of all of that. I uh, I remember working at the uh, local utility and I would listen to Dr. Dobson uh, focus on the family at that time, very popular in the late eighties and early nineties. And, uh, this, this is the last century. You know? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about the last century, everybody. Yeah. You get a history, you get a history credit. Now, if you listen to this story, <laughs> you know, 30 years ago, but I would, I would be driving from appointment to appointment and, you know, I, with my job, I could listen to the radio and I would listen to Dr. Dobson. And, and the theme was, uh, Just starting to address the church was starting to address abortion like it was really the taking of innocent life. And in the United States, it had started in 1975. States passed legislation in 1970 that allowed abortion on demand. Um, And then in 1973, it was federally written into the law, which we call Roe v. Wade and Doe combination of Roe v. Wade and Doe versus Bolton those two laws created this abortion on demand scenario that and so we were responding to this and um but the more I was involved I I mean I went to New York I mean the the whole the story is that I was I was kind of saying it this way I was minding my own business and God interrupted my life you know right (laughs) I was I was serving the Lord. I was leading a young adult, uh, young adult group at our church. I was a young uh, man with a family and four or five kids. I, you know, I was serving the Lord, being faithful, and in the middle of this, I'm down visiting my parents-in-law, Lisa's parents, down in Oregon, and and I'm sitting watching the 700 Club with my. Mother-in-law, kind of my prophetically temperamented mother-in-law, which she didn't even know she was <laughs> like that. But she loved she loved to listen to stuff like this. And I'm watching for two nights in a row. This uh, young young man, at the time, I think he was 25, 27. Randall Terry was on just for five minutes on the show, and he just talked about the unborn. He talked about the, the plight of a nation. That allows injustice, like the shedding of innocent blood. He talked about the nations in, in history that mm. allowed the shedding of innocent blood, and what and because of that, what happened to them, how they lost their place. They went into the. He used to talk about nations going into the ash heap of history, and it just it just gripped my heart. And I uh, I remember coming back to Spokane after hearing him. Talk and he he was saying, come to New York, come to New York, we're going to gather in New York, and we're going to stand for the unborn, and we're going to intervene. And we're going to give the ladies a chance to uh, hear the truth. And, uh, and we're going to be willing to sacrifice ourselves, our comfort, our convenience. Um, We're going to risk take a risk and try to intervene for these children, the mothers. For the church in a sense in the truest sense we're intervening for the church because we're
3: right. we're doing
2: what what the church should do and we're going to as that church we're going to be the, the answer at the time i i wouldn't say that, but at the time and recently i've been preaching this a lot you know it talks about the fallen angel in isaiah 14 12 and, it, and the phrase that's used to describe this angel that was cast out of heaven it says he that he that he who weakens the nations
3: mm-hmm.
2: and It's such a weird, kind of a haunting phrase. This is the description of the, of the worship leader in heaven, who is cast out of heaven with his demons. And it says, he who weakens the nations. And our theology as Christians is the nation and history, you know, bears this out, but a nation is only as strong as the church in that nation. The church is only as strong as the families. The families are only as strong as the marriages. The marriages are only as strong as that young man and that young woman who God puts together to be a team right. for His king- kingdom purposes. And so again, it was always the nation. It was always we're we're helping the church become salt and light again. Yeah. You know, we're, we're we're restoring the 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 savor that we lost. If the if the salt loses its savor, what how it'll be made salty again. And we're we're you know we're hoping that we're resalting the church by our obedience and our willingness to and uh, we're standing for the moms and we're standing for the children the, the those that can't speak for themselves. All this is wrapped up into this. So he says come to New York come to New York and so I came back I talked to my pastor and he you know, I thought he was going to say, you are, you're a nice guy, Jim. <laughs> you are insane. You know, <laughs> this is a little bit, you're a little, this is a little bit much. This is like, you're going way over, you know, this is, but he just said, let's pray about it. I shared with him. He said, let's pray about it. Let's, let's see what the Lord says. And so that was right before Thanksgiving. And uh, this is going to happen in the middle of late, you know, mid to late January. Let's pray. Let's talk right before Christmas for about a month. We just waited and, and uh, got back together with him. He said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. And I thought he was going to say, well, Jim, you know, you're just, just, you know, take a chill pill. And it was so wonderful that this shepherd uh, of a growing, large, you know, 400 plus member church, four or 500 growing, lots of young people, young families. He said, We're gonna send you to New York. And when I asked him, I said, You don't have to send me, you don't have to, you know, you have to lay hands on me. I will pay for my own ticket. I'll take time off at work. I'll pay for my meals. I just I just want to make sure I'm not doing something crazy. And he said, We're gonna send you, we're I'm gonna send you, we're gonna pay for your hotel, we're gonna pay for your plane, we're gonna pay for your meals, we're gonna lay hands on you, and we're gonna send you. And we want you to go and we want you to come back and tell us whether God is in this movement or not. Wow. And, uh, that was it. I, uh, so I went and, uh, part of the backdrop is I had failed in a ministry. Not I, I had failed. You can fail financially in in, in moral morality in terms of, Uh, sexual morality and you can fail in authority whether you you violate authority over you or you Mm. violate those that you're over that you have authority over and I failed in my ministry my urban mission working with black teenagers low income white teenagers in the urban area of Tacoma I had failed I had gotten bitter at my church I had gotten bitter at my pastor I had I cursed him. I cursed the church. I was a part of my first church. My first pastor. Uh, It was out of my own woundedness, my own father wounds, my own unrealistic expectations, my own pride, and so I I had failed in that. And so this this period of time when I'd come back to Spokane and was serving in the church, those were years of being restored. I was learning how to have a pastor again. I was learning how to you know, the, the, the beauty of authority in your life, that it wasn't a, some restrictive thing. It was a safeguard. It Mm. was in the multi in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom. Right. And, uh, and I never, I never had learned that. So I, I'm going around the mountain again and I'm learning the lessons I never learned. That's why I went to my pastor and, you know, for him to say that was incredible. And, uh, so I went, and uh, part of the emotion of going—that's why I kind of filled the internet. I went there, and I just, I just wept the whole, just about the whole weekend. We had a three, three-hour rally in a Catholic church in downtown New York, with 1,500 people from 17 nations and all 50 states, wow. all coming, all coming together to say, "Lord, we heal our land." You know, we, we were trying to live second chronicle 714 you know and my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way then god speaking god says then i will hear from heaven and i will forgive their sin and i will heal their land and all these different people were coming with that that longing to see God begin to heal our land. Increasingly our land was becoming sexually immoral and, you know, abortion on demand and the taking of innocent life and just a lot of different things like kind of a a decaying of our nation and the values of our nation. And, you know, when you throw, when you begin to the loss of respect for life began to be sown in our nation and life became cheaper and cheaper and, you know, we had lots of guns before all this stuff. We had lots of, you know, the mass shootings weren't there. I mean, it was it was like it wasn't mm. about guns. It was about the loss of respect for life. It was right, right. And, and suddenly, suddenly, we're debating about you know how long should older people live? And you know, all this stuff just this slowly,
3: yeah,
2: you know, from the all across the life spectrum, yeah. So those values, so we all these people are together, you know, and uh, we just went through this while, but I remember in the rallies, like the first night on Friday night, I remember being there on the second row, I got there hours early, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I just sat there and I was just so thrilled. And when they, they did speaker after speaker get up and I would just, I would sob, like I couldn't breathe because I was. Everything they said, they would talk about Corey Ten Boone saving the Jews and mm. Harriet Harriet Tubman helping build the Underground Railroad. Yeah. And helping the slaves escape up to Canada, your beloved Canada, you know, and just the themes of people intervening when there was an injustice against the people group. And now we had our eyes fixed on the the two people groups, the, the mothers who were deceived and sometimes complicit in the taking of the life of their children, and uh, and the children who had no voice, and in mm-hmm. a culture that was going to shut their eyes to it because they wanted to justify their pursuit of sexual pleasure at any cost, right? And uh, so. I just couldn't, I just sobbed. I mean, three hours of weeping. I would listen for a little bit and they'd they'd say something funny. I'd laugh and then they would, they would say some other things, And all of a sudden I'm just sobbing and I'm literally putting my face in my hands and my hands on my knees bent over.
1: Yeah.
2: And I don't know how to describe it. And not only was the burden of the Lord coming, God was saying, Jim, I'm calling you to this. Yeah. I'm giving you a second chance. I know you failed in your first ministry and you've learned your lessons. And I'm I'm, gonna, I'm calling you again. When I was 38 years old. I was, you know, I had missed, you know, my window. I, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be a good church guy, faithful, help the leaders serve. And the Lord just gets him calling you. I designed you for something like this. And that was just. It's emotional talking
0: about it.
1: Yeah, that's so good. I think it's. It's interesting, Jim, like us. We've known you for so long and I've never heard this part of the story. Mm-hmm. But when you're. What you said there, you know. Second Chronicles. Seven. And I. And I just think how many times we've sat with you and you've taught us and you've, you've just spoken that verse over us. And I just, it's like the weight of, like you're saying, the loss of the innocent Um, and how that burden has propelled you and And then you've, I know that you've done it with us is you've transferred, you've shown us, you've modeled that for us Mm -hmm. and so many others, you know, in, in your nation, United States and in Canada and the different classes and schools you've been through too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, one part of the story that we'd love to, for people to hear is how, when, I mean, years down the road. From that rally in New York, how you felt God leading you over into Russia, and how the Lord kind of right did that big giant pivot for you, where you went there preaching and speaking around the pro life issue.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Can yeah, you know,
1: can you share? Sure. What happened there?
2: Yeah, so I you know I got back and uh, I got back from New York and. I feel like the Lord kind of catapulted me into cyberspace or the stratosphere, kind of the spiritual stratosphere. It's just, I was, it's like falling off a log. People heard I was in New York. I got radio interviews. Pastors were inviting me to speak at their pastors group. And you know, I probably preached at 25 different churches in Spokane. And wow. right here, I mean, wow. talking about the, un- the unborn and, and, I guess I felt like this, is the next step, all you need, it, everybody can just take the next step. Yeah. If you've never, whatever it is, take the next step. You know, every step of faith is wonderful. You know, if you can wow. take this step, whatever step.
0: So good. And I was
2: br- I was bringing pastors to different rescues around the country, New York, Wichita, Buffalo, New York, uh, uh Washington, D.C., New Orleans. We were going all over the country. The same people that kind of gathered in New York that time, you know, and and others that would join. We became this mobile group that would help sponsor events. And I was a lieutenant to the leaders, always serving them and helping them and receiving so much courage from them. Um, I'd go afraid and come back strong because I was around these men, these men who were these dear men, dear mm-hmm. men that love the church, love their country. And, uh, and, and you know, slowly the movement changed, you know, some of the measures, the things that we felt the Lord leading us to, risking arrest and, you know, get being in jail and peaceful, nonviolent uh, things that we modeled after Martin Luther King. Uh, some of that methodology wasn't even working anymore. It wasn't, we can go into that. That's not really our purpose in this podcast, but, um, but as we continued to, the other thing the Lord was doing besides kind of the, the political environment and whether this methodology worked, you know, dealing with the government and the church and, But the other thing that was happening is just in my own heart, God was dealing with me and in the middle of dealing with this abortion issue and thinking about the taking of life and the mom, you know, the mother and the doctor and the abortion clinic. And it was such a strange thing. And and there were crisis pregnancy centers springing up all over America, groups of people saying we need to do something about the moms. To try to intervene and try to do that. But the Lord started speaking to me because I was starting to teach about this in schools and I was talking about it a lot in churches. And but this one phrase kind of hit me, and this is kind of this is kind of the first some of the first steps to what I've been doing now. The first phrase that he began to say to me was, abortion is the end of the conveyor belt. Abortion is the end of the conveyor belt in a culture that worships sex. Yeah. It was a funny expression. I tried to get a picture of a culture where people are being plopped on.
3: Hmm.
2: People People are plopped on this very broad, like moving highway, like a conveyor belt. And It was going somewhere, and but it led to this this the end place where the women were participating in the cultural invitation to sexual pleasure or relationship formation using the power of their sexuality or whatever. How do you want to describe the culture, and sexuality? Mm-hmm. Right. It ended up. It ended up that abortion is the at the end of that conveyor belt. Besides a broken heart, abandonment, betrayal, fear, shame, negative sexual experiences, STDs, domestic violence, you know, I mean, everything associated with non-covenantal relationships. Mm -hmm. And so that was the one thing he said, and because the Lord, I felt like the Lord was wanting to contextualize the issue. And yes. the church was the church was always so good about putting it into an ideological ghetto. Like, here's abortion. Here is the best solution to solve this is to start a crisis pregnancy. We're gonna raise money. We're gonna train counselors. We're gonna have a director that. Um, we're gonna try to enlist pastors to be supportive and tell their people that we have a crisis pregnancy center and everybody will be. Uh, connecting with the idea of helping the women who are in a crisis, make it the right decision. The children will be saved. The mothers will be spared the guilt. Um, hopefully there'll be support for them as they start their life out. Children will be adopted in some cases. In other cases, single moms will be supported by churches. Boyfriends will be helped to understand authentic manhood and you know, all this stuff around.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But but really, it was save the child and intervene, you know, and, and, and the, the women would come in and they would talk to them about their children and show them an ultrasound. Or, or they, they often would come in and take a test, like a, a pregnancy test. And they're nervous and and, and they don't know what's – they think they're pregnant and they're not sure. And they they take the test and they find out they're not pregnant and all of a sudden they're not worried. They're celebrating. They're actually – laughing in the middle of the crisis pregnancy center <laughs> and then they're saying thank you and goodbye and they're kind of skipping down the sidewalk and the counselor is saying uh, abstinence you know and off they go you know it, it was yeah. just like kind of like hey i'm off the hook i'm not pregnant and it was the beginning of understanding that there is, there's the abortion decision is whether or not she's pregnant and whether that life of that child is going to be sacrificed in the abortion decision. But what about all the stuff going on in her life mm-hmm. with this man?
1: Yeah.
2: And, and that, and the part of her life, that the large part, the large percentage of her life that that represents connected to this abortion decision. is So that's why, and then I think that would keep the church focused on the larger picture and um, the broader, the context of it. And the other thing the Lord started speaking to me was he said this, he said, you can't talk about abortion without talking about the heart of a woman. And you can't talk about the heart of a woman without talking about the power of a father in her life. Hmm. And if maybe the first quote about, you know, you abortion is the end of the conveyor belt in the culture that worships sex. That's more of a cultural,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, contextualized abortion issue in the larger culture. Right culture that worships sex that's a, a phrase that could be unpacked like you know that's that's what's going on whether people know it or not it's totally a, yeah but then the second one that you can't talk about it's, it's personalizing it don't church you know reformation church that is standing about life you know don't forget there's a person here don't forget it's about the heart of a woman Don't forget, it's about how she grew up and whether her heart was filled with her father's love. And all of a sudden, it's just all these related issues and God wanting to contextualize it, both culturally and personally, if we're going to really authentically be the church and have a multifaceted response to everything going on around this and I began to understand we could carry a picket sign, we could get arrested, we could uh, build the crisis pregnancy centers, or you know,
3: mm-hmm. start
2: them. We could write legislators, we could march, we could have rallies. But uh, all of that—it's all of that and more. You know, it's the fatherless. and interesting that the fatherless and the widow. In the scripture, with the poor connected right into this issue.
3: Yeah.
2: Because mm. who is more fatherless than an unborn child that's maybe going to have their life taken because their mother is afraid?
0: Right, right.
2: And here we are, the fatherless and the, the widow. You know, I've come to kind of understand that the 21st century widow certainly one aspect of that could be the single mom of the culture for sure for sure so there we are and
1: yeah that makes a lot of sense so that be-
2: that that began to be our our thinking and so it suddenly god started this pushing the, the walls out of this carefully constructed paradigm i had hmm and just pushing it you know like I'm pushing the walls down I want it very broad I want it really broad
3: mm-hmm.
2: because the church could literally support a crisis pregnancy center raise money have a great system and program going and not talk to their 13 year old girls and boys about sex in the youth group right so that the people the people waiting in line at the very abortion clinic, in that city could be some of those girls two or three years later when they're 15 or 18 years old, grew up right in the church to build the crisis pregnancy center to help avoid having to make a decision to go to the abortion clinic. You know, I mean, it's like, wait a minute, we're missing something here. We gotta take a cut. we gotta go from the 20 foot view to the five view. We gotta get a little different perspective And I, uh, you mentioned, Bonnie, about going to Russia. I don't know how we're doing on our, I didn't even look at our clock. We're doing great. So.
0: We got time for Russia. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, I, uh, so those things
2: are going on in my spirit. The, the, the nature of the pro life movement is still very real. And, but, but some of the methodology isn't going to work as, as well. They're still, marches there's still people doing sidewalk counseling where they're attempting to speak to the ladies at the abortion clinics right all that just being present there for prayer legislation You know, they're writing legislators they're people a lot of the people that did the rescue started thinking i'm going to run for office i want to run for city council i'm going to run for the school board i'm going to run for state legislature or senate and so we just kept taking the burden into different spheres. And wouldn't you know it, missions would be part of it. Classic missions of going to another nation with the gospel to help plant the church or build a church that's already established. And uh, wouldn't you know the Lord would have, have that in store for me. And uh, I was working one of the men, Keith Tucci, who I was working with in the pro-life movement, in what, what was called Operation Rescue for years in the early late '90s, late '80s and early '90s, Keith also started a thing called Life Coalition International, and was beginning to take the pro-life message to other nations.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: We went to we went to Egypt. We went to Norway during the Olympics to be a witness regarding oh. abortion. In. And uh, a man who God was using mightily to plant churches in Russia, Bob Weiner, was uh, holding leadership meetings in Russia, uh, pulling young, young leaders from all over the country. Some of them would travel 10 or 14 days on a train. Hmm. Maybe I think it was seven days straight on a train, wow. not, not sleeping, just sitting up in a, in a car for seven days to get to a meeting. That's going to last three days and then turn around and go back to their far Eastern city when they would travel from the far Eastern of Russia to Moscow for this conference. So Bob was training uh, leaders on church planning, on fivefold ministry, on prayer, on evangelism, on cell groups, on, you know, Bible study, on, you know, all this stuff, everything, the life of the church. But he also, through the church planning, re- began to realize that been, there was a huge need in the country to deal with a life issue. Mm-hmm. Lots of the missionaries who went into the Russian. Uh, the former Soviet re, uh, Union, the different republics were, the reports were coming out that the, the, you know, abortion was their birth control. They didn't have birth control. They would wait. They would wait till a woman got pregnant and that's how she handled. So oh, sexuality yeah. was everywhere. Um, and the average woman that wasn't part of the underground Baptist or Pentecostal church movements, Uh, The average was five, six, seven abortions a piece. Wow. And he said, we've got it. If we're going to truly plant the church and be reformation, we're going to bring revival. We must bring reformation and reformation must address these things. How is a woman supposed to start a family or a marriage? You know, they're going to honor God's way from the life of immorality, abortion, sexual immorality, to God's covenantal view of marriage and family, we've got to address this. We've got to at least heal the people. We've got to give them an ethic for life. We've got to. So, Bob says, Keith, I want not you come with me. And Keith said, I can't go, but I'll I'll send someone else. <laughs> so he called me up and said, Jim, why don't you go? I can't go. Wow. So I was second. You know, like, that's how God does things. (laughs) I was God's first and man's second. With enough willingness to say yes. And uh, that was another trip that was, was reminding me, I felt like I was doing my New York trip again. I was felt like I was walking right into my destiny. Wow. And I was terrified. And enthralled with a different culture and the beauty, the beauty of a hunger in the newly formed church in the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, the worship, the, the beauty, the simplicity, the contentment of the saints who had nothing but had everything because they had found the Lord. It, it in a lot of ways it shame it shamed what I had come to understand, what I'd seen in the church in America, mm-hmm. and uh, and I love America, I love my country, and I love yeah. God's God's church, but just to see that fresh hunger and uh, I don't know how I never forget it.
0: Yeah, Jim, you mentioned a, a story. You know you've. You know, I love hearing it as you were preaching in Russia on on pro life, and there is these times, or it's this one specific time, where these ladies who were hearing this, maybe for the first time, just began to weep, and just began to, you know, like it was this kind of sovereign move of God in this in this gathering. And um, can you tell us that story just as we kind of wrap up your part one? Won't you tell us that story? <clears throat> about what God was doing in the hearts of these women and also what he, he spoke to you. Um, cause I think that, that word that he says to you is just so key. So key for what we're talking about.
2: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm at the conference and. So the first time I'm going to speak, I'm going to do a little workshop. i got my message and my, my workshop was the three roles of the church in dealing with abortion. I had my message already in the three points, you know, the first one is to preach abortion and sin, but do it with a
3: broken
2: heart, with a tender, ascribe it for what it is. Don't. And the second would be to create an atmosphere of healing and restoration for those who have been touched by that issue, you know, the women and the, and the men. And with forgiveness, healing, and restoration. And the third was to be a prophetic voice in the culture, uh, you know. Again, with a broken heart, talking about abortion and the the judgment of God that, that accompanies the nations that shed innocent blood. So that was my message. And I, you know, I saw myself as like I'm going to teach these things, and they're going to be important, and they can really help the church. And what a great thing to have in the toolbox of the new church in Russia they're going to do all these things and so I'm up in the classroom 45 women 5 men it's an afternoon session the sun's coming through the the windows and the you know room with like 14 foot ceilings you know huge old law school and the August sun and the big giant windows i'm preaching my message and like you said in the description i'm i'm aware that is i'm in the middle of my first point and, and it's set up with some with tables so there's an aisle in the middle and a, a table on the right couple tables on the right couple tables on the left about six rows back you know there's And I'm aware as I'm preaching in the middle of my message, the ladies are starting to cry at hearing this. Excuse me. And I start this what I call a micro conversation with God. And I think a lot of you can where you're literally like time doesn't stop. You don't stop what you're doing. I'm still preaching my message, but I'm having kind of this accelerated conversation with God, like, hey God, like here I am preaching this message, but but I'm also kind of going, hey Lord, um, the ladies are crying, and uh, if they keep crying, I'm not. It's making me kind of uncomfortable. I'm not sure what to do, but if I know one thing, if they keep crying, I'm not going to be able to finish my message. And uh, typical man, you know, kind of a man, you know, i, I it's just sort of like Lord, what's going on? But they're crying, and I don't uh, like. And the Lord just kind of responds to my question and he says i don't care about your dumb message (laughs) (laughs)
0: thanks jesus i
2: i I don't care about your dumb message i'm changing your ministry wow and and it made me kind of nervous like i said what do you mean i mean like what do you want he goes i want i want you to stop your meeting and offer to the men and women and in this room healing for sexual immorality, sins of sexual immorality and, and sins of abortion. And I just kind of thought, well. <laughs> like what. I suppose you don't show up, I'm just going to like, how is that going to happen? Like, do you have a certificate to give them after you were done or you know what it's, it was just so bizarre and i was nervous now i'm still preaching they're still crying and i'm just kind of wrestling and i start i start actually arguing with the lord i i, I have these good reasons why what he just said isn't gonna work <laughs> i just i did i just was just yeah. and it wasn't weird i wasn't rebellious i just thought yeah i'm not used to this lord and And I go, Lord, you don't understand, but in America, we're really, really careful about men and women, you know, and, you know, Billy Graham doesn't even go in an elevator with a woman and, and men don't work with women and men don't talk to women about this part of their life. This is like the deepest, most private, personal stuff in a woman's life. And, and the men, you know, at crisis pregnancy centers, they help raise the money and they work with the boyfriends, and only ladies counsel the ladies and So, sorry, Lord, you just don't get it. You don't get it. And I'm, I'm already doing it the right way. <laughs> and, <laughs> because of, and because of that, I can't really, like, so. And then the Lord answered my, I'm still preaching the message. The ladies are still crying. And he says, do you think that the broken heart of a daughter could be healed by the touch of a father? And I said, Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I believe in. I mean, that's what I am. I'm more of a dad than a preacher. And he goes, I, Lord says, I know. That's why you're here. Okay. You get it? (laughs) I go, Yeah. I mean, that's, I am a dad. That's how I see myself. And
3: Mm -hmm.
2: he goes, I know, Jim, that's why you're here. I want you to. So now I'm really getting nervous. But I had to set up a great idea. Now I'm still preaching my message. The ladies are still crying. They're getting, it's getting louder. It's audible. It's not sniffles. It's not, it's, it's sobbing. Right. right. It's be, some are beginning to like travail. They're mourning, they're mourning their loss of innocence, purity, their children right. like this. This earthquake is happening in their soul. They've never heard anything about, they've been saved. They're a part of the new church and the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit's never visited this part of their life in such detail because God wants them to be fully healed and restored and not just generally healed with a general message on forgiveness something we later would understand very clearly. But but I came up with another excuse. I thought, Lord, this is I am not going to just, now the ladies are still crying. I'm preaching my message and I've got I'm telling them, Lord, I'm not going to just tell them like, okay, everybody whoever wants to be healed, come on up now. It's just going to happen now. Like one, two, three, healed. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to insult them. I'm not. This is the deepest. This is something they've carried for years. Some of them. It's the most deep and personal area uh, of. It affects their heart, every their identity, and Lord, the way the way we do this in America is we like have a 12 week Bible study. You know, we do this. We have a 12 week, 12 sec. You know. It's like a 12-week Bible study. They have a workbook, and they work through things. And I'm not just telling them now, like, oh, just now. Like, now, heal, now, coming, just now. Like, well, I, I'm not going to insult them. That would be like an insult. That would be telling them that just, just these deep, deep things are just not even that deep. And you can just kind uh, of like now, just healing, now. And he just listened to my little kind of argument and he just said do i have your permission to be a supernatural god if i want to open heaven over one of my daughter's lives and and bring everything to a halt and and pour in my healing into her heart and Mm profoundly help her to see that I'm her heavenly father. If I, if I want to gaze into her soul with my eyes of approval and break every shame and every pain and every regret and the guilt of the loss of her children and the, the impurity which she's lived with and, and if I want to restore the petals on the flower that have been torn off by darkness do I have your permission? <laughs> <laughs> well, Lord, I guess if you really want to, you know, I mean, if you (laughs) I had no answer for that. Right. And I was I, I didn't have anything to say. So I I yielded to the Lord and still was preaching my first point and The ladies are still crying, and I stopped my message. And I just said, those of you, we're going to stop our message. I feel the Lord's presence here, and a lot of you are already sensing God's presence. It's, it's, He's present to heal and restore. Those of you that want healing for sexual immorality, sin, and abortion, sin, and just... um, why don't you just make your way up to the aisle? And I thought, you know, like maybe there'd be a couple of ladies would come. And mm-hmm. Like it was one of those moments where every chair in the room simultaneously gets pushed backward. You can hear it sound like a herd of elephants. You know, like just right. with the chairs and they move toward the aisle are crowded into the aisle. And I think 40 of the 45 women are just, Jammed into the aisle with their arms folded, their heads looking down, Mm. and weeping, standing weeping, with their short skirts and their nylons on their high heels, their see-through blouses and their black brasiers, and they, you know, they they were they were brand new. I mean, the their old life and the new life in Christ were were colliding. Right. They they didn't know anything and. I'll never forget the first lady. She was standing there, a beautiful 30-something, young 30-something woman with bleached blonde hair in a little bob kind of down to her shoulders. That look on her face was like a mixture of fear like and hope.
3: Wow.
2: Like like I don't Please, I don't. I, I'm afraid this,
3: yeah.
2: this shame, this shame won't leave. And I'll still, ha- I'll, I'll, I'll leave the room, still feeling like I felt, yeah. and with a hope, the hope, like, could this be? The Lord wants to forgive me, yeah. and the shame will be gone, and my regret will be gone, and the pain will be gone. So I found out her name. With my translator, I'm starting to interact with the ladies. I did no idea how we were gonna do this how long it would take. It, it ended up taking three hours, and we canceled the other seminars. There would be ladies kind of crying and after prayer and laying on the floor and all over the room. And you know, it was just this scene of God's heart. Yeah. So the first lady I found out her name was Stella, which means star. And she had a see-through white blouse on with a black brazier, And that was, she was singing in the choir. I recognized her from the meetings. I mean, she was born again. She was hungry for the Lord. She just, you know, her identity as a sexual, her sexual identity was still kind of there, but it was being replaced by the identity of, be, of being a daughter in the kingdom of God and So I, I I just said Lord I don't know what to say
3: mm-hmm.
2: I didn't have I'm not have i am not not a prophesy on demand kind of person I, I believe in the word of knowledge and the gifts of the spirits and I, I I operate that way uh, but I didn't I didn't have anything for her and. I didn't sense that in the classic sense, but I just said, Lord, I don't know what to say. And he he just very simply said to me, why don't you tell her that she's a bright star for me and not a dull star? Wow. So I said, Stella, the Lord's telling me that you're a bright star for him and you're not a dull star. And he's not ashamed of you. And she just, her face kind of squinted and grimaced and she just began to sob more. And I kind of, I'm back to my micro conversation. I said, Lord, this doesn't seem to be helping that much. And, <laughs> you know, and he just said, Jim, there's healing and tears. This yeah. is healing. This is not more pain. This is the yeah. removal of pain. This is, yeah. the, this is the dam breaking on all the poison that's inside them. The dam breaking on all the regrets of their life, all the question marks they've been afraid to ask, the, the things in their life that have never been brought into the light. This is the healing. Later, I would understand that it was, it was, it was exactly what the prophet warned against when he said, don't heal the wound of the daughter of my people superficially. Right. It was the op- It was the opposite of that yeah yeah it, it was god god and uh both collectively the daughter of the people healing the church from this yeah. sin of a of immorality and abortion and and this individual daughter a daughter of the people you know the daughter of my people and this was a living daughter
3: that represented
2: mm-hmm. one one part of that yeah daughter of the church you know the symbolism i couldn't escape and and she cried and she fell on the floor. She curled up in a little ball, just sobbing. And he said, Jim, you're not done. Just kneel down beside her. And, and he just said, tell her she's a flower in God's garden. And that she's in the front row of the garden. And that the Lord loves to, to tell her that the Lord is the only one that God that Jesus is the only one that can put the petals back on the flower that the devil has torn off. So I said
3: that to her, and she cried some more. Uh, You know, she... And... uh, And then he said... Tell her that if Jesus is the king of kings... And that every daughter of a king is a princess.
2: And tell her she is one of God's princesses. Wow. And she cried some more. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, tell her about your girls. That when, how they run to you when they have, when they have a hurt. And that you never put your finger in their face and, and with some kind of scowl say, "What are you doing here?" But you but the, but but you never do that. And what you do is you open your arms and take them into your arms and hold them against your chest and comfort them. And then you ask them, "Where does it hurt?" And they present their their little owie on their finger to you, and you. You kiss it. And then you look into their eyes and say, is that better now? And they, through their tears, go, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: And they they, they kind of hold your gaze for a moment, and then they kind of skip away. Yeah. And tell them, tell them that, that the Lord is just like that, and he loves it when his girls run to him. And he asks them where the pain is and he wants to kiss them with his presence and send them off into their future. Yeah. I love it. So that that became kind of that was God's training ground. (laughs) That was my go to and you know it it sounds so canned and so predictable if I would do that many times every time there was a brand new daughter standing in front of me and all the intricate details of her life all so unique just to her those words and those word pictures were like brand new every time and they were brand new all that day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Jim. that became, we just ran to Russia. We started going two or three times a year. Amazing. 50, 50 cities, 400 meetings. Wow. we go to church, churches of 1500. Eight or nine hundred women in the church, you know, the kind of the two to one ratio with the men, you know, for, you know, five to three years, some, you know, but we'd preach a message. We'd preach a message for an hour and say, how many want healing from abortion sin and immorality? And there'd always be at least 500 women at the altar.
3: Wow.
2: Wow. Weeping and sobbing, we would spend three, two, three, four hours praying for every woman. Wow. And we, so we were very focused on that for
0: a number of years. Yeah. That's such a powerful story, Jim. I appreciate you sharing that with us. And we'll maybe call this part one and we'll have to, we'll pick it up. And we're going to talk about um, God's design for family and how the church is supposed to be that representation of the family here in part two. So thanks so much for joining us here and uh, we'll pick it up again here in part two. That will be great. Yeah. it It was fun to reminisce.
1: Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Union Movement.